Thank you, Annette. It's great to see all of you, and many of you are, are visiting with us, haven't, uh, or have been from way back, and you're here today, and we're very thankful to see you, and it's great to be together again. I want to preach this morning, teach you from John chapter 13. My sermon is entitled 26 Dirty Feet, and if you know the story, you can pick that, uh, why it's titled that way. We're going to talk this morning about feet washing. Um, the church that I grew up in, the tradition that I grew up in, the Grace Brethren Church, uh, did everything in threes. It was very interesting. Every, the, the one word we heard all the time was threefold. It was threefold this, threefold that, threefold something else. One of the things was threefold baptism. Uh, they were a Baptist-type church, so they immersed people that were baptized. But instead of doing it once backwards, they were convinced that the proper way was three times forward. So we had a threefold type baptism. It was always interesting. It made baptisms very unique events and um, much anticipated because what would happen, the, the pastor would get everyone together who was going to be baptized before the service. And he says, and we're going to dunk you three times, but you only get one breath. So take a deep breath and don't take another one until the third dunk is over and then you can breathe again. But invariably, panic would set in after the sun you know, it was the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. A panic would set in after the Son, and they would try to take a deep breath before going under for the Spirit, and the Spirit would get them every time. They'd come up choking, spitting water, and so we were always anticipating at least half of the people that would be baptized at a service would uh, experience near drowning uh, in, that, uh, in that ordeal. So that was our threefold baptism. We also had what we called threefold communion. Uh, communion night was always in a midweek. It was a midweek service, uh, usually quarterly. We'd come together. We'd sing some songs up in the main sanctuary, and then we would, we would all file down into the lower level of the church where we would begin a threefold communion service. The three elements, the three parts of the service, one was the bread and the cup, which is normally what uh, most churches celebrate when they celebrate communion. We also had what, what was called a love feast. So it was in commemor it was in, in anticipation, not memory, but anticipation of the great uh, wedding feast of the Lamb that was to come. But the third thing that we did in, uh, in our threefold communion was we washed one another's feet. We washed one another's feet. And it was a very, I mean, it's, it's some of the most vivid memories I have of growing up in the church were those communion services. I always would say that in, in describing them, I would say there was also a threefold element to that as well. It was a threefold washing of the feet. And here's how it would work. We... Uh, uh, sometime after school, we'd go and play in the park behind our house, and our mom would come out to the fence, and she had this great whistle, and she would whistle, and we knew when my mom whistled, it was time to come home, and she would, she would uh, tell us as we came in the door, go wash your feet, because it was communion night, and no, uh, you know, no good mother would let her children go to communion night with dirty feet. That, that would be just a, a, a real breach of etiquette and a breach of, of uh, it'd be just very embarrassing. So that was the first feet washing when we would go into the bathroom and, and wash our feet. The second one was when she would follow us in and wash them a second time 
just to make sure they were clean before we headed off to church. Then we went to church and we had this service where uh, we would, they would split the men and the women for modesty reasons. And, and we would be with the men on one side of the room and we would go around and we'd, we'd wash each other's feet. Very memorable. I mean, when I think about it, uh, I, I can still almost feel the texture of the towel on my feet as my dad would wash my feet or some other man in the church would wash and wipe my feet. It was very, very special service, very moving, very meaningful. And I would like to communicate some of that this morning as we look at this passage in John chapter 13. Uh, at, at the, at the con, in the context of John 13, Jesus's ministry is coming to an end. John's gospel is unique from the other gospels in that we're only a little over halfway through his gospel, but we're starting uh, in the Last Supper. We're starting in the events that took place over the next three or four days in chapter 13. It was a time of the Passover. It was a time when the city of Jerusalem, the population would normally swell to 10 or 12 times its, its usual size. And Jesus says at the beginning of the passage, uh, he, he said that uh, he wanted the disciples to go and arrange for a room for them to celebrate the Passover uh, together. It would be the last time that Jesus would be with his disciples before he would be crucified. Uh, he knew what was coming by that point. In just a few hours after this last supper, he would be in the Garden of Gethsemane uh, in such anguish that as he prayed, the, the blood was pouring down from his face. Shortly thereafter, he would be arrested and tried, and, and eventually that would lead to his crucifixion the next day. He knew all that was coming. And if there was a time in Jesus' ministry when he needed to be served. If there was one time when he needed to be served, it would have been this time. It would have been totally understandable for Jesus to say, help me through this time, serve me. But instead, what Jesus saw was that this was an opportunity to teach his disciples one last time about love and about servanthood. And so we're look, going to look at it from the standpoint this morning of what true servanthood is all about as we see this exhibited in Jesus's life in, in John chapter 13. The first thing I want you to see about uh, true servants is that they are secure with God. True servants are always going to be secure with God. Let me read the first five verses of this text this morning. It says in verse one, it was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. What our text tells us this morning is that Jesus uh, knew four things that were very important for him as a servant. He knew, first of all, that his says that his time had come. That's a, a real significant phrase in the Gospel of John. No less than six other times in the Gospel of John prior to this time, 
there are, it's mentioned that Jesus didn't do something that was expected of him because his time had not yet come. His time had not yet come. Uh, the very first miracle he did at the, at the wedding of Cana, I, I believe was the first time that appeared where Jesus told his mom, my time has not yet come. And other, other points, this phrase would appear. But now in John 13, it says that Jesus um, knew that the hour had come. His time had come for him to leave the world. Uh, second thing he knew was that all things were under his power. Verse 3, he knew that the Father had put all things under his power. He had resources of thousands of angels. The whole spiritual world was at his disposal had he wanted to uh, push the button and activate that. He knew, uh, thirdly, that he had come from God, and fourthly, that he was returning to God. He knew he had come from God in the sense that the Father and the Son and the Spirit had, had come up with the plan of salvation long before the foundation of the world, and the Father had told the Son, you're going to go, and the Son said, I'll willingly go, and I'll live for people, and I'll die for people uh, who, are, who are needy because they're sinners. And so he knew that uh, he had come from God, and he knew that he was returning to God. So there was a sense already in John 13 where it's saying that Jesus understood something about the resurrection at that point that what he was about to go through over the next 24, 36 hours was not going to be the end of his life. There would be a resurrection and he would return back to God. Now, the point I'm trying to get at here is that Jesus knew these four things. His hour had come, all power was given. he come from God, he was returning to God. And when you know those kinds of things, how, more, how much more secure can you be than that? I think often... Uh, servanthood is hard because we're not sure where it's going to lead. If we take the first step to be a servant, uh, is that going to permanently uh, put a ceiling on how far I can progress through an organization or, or in the church or in a family, wherever it might be? But when you're secure, when you know where you've come from, where you're going, when you know that uh, this is what God wants you to do, there's a freedom that you have that you can reach out and you can serve one another in that kind of freedom. He was completely secure in his relationship with his father. One person has said that there's three types of servants of God that you can think of in scripture. One type would be uh, slaves who, who serve out of fear. The other would be hirelings who serve for the sake of wages. But then there are children who serve out of the sense of love that they've received from the Father. Uh, Jesus was completely secure in that relationship. I think the second thing that we see about servants in this passage is that true servants see needs. They see needs. In verse 6, it says that he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing but later you will understand. And Peter said, no, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, Peter, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And so Peter then swings to the other extreme. He says, well, then, Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus says, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said, not everyone was clean. 
True servants see needs. I think the first need that Jesus saw that night was the dirty feet. <laughs> he saw 24 and his made 26. Uh, 26 dirty feet. And the reason he saw this, if you have in your mind the picture of the Last Supper that was painted by Leonardo da Vinci, you got to trash that, okay? Because almost certainly that's not what it looked like. That's not how they ate back then. That's how Europeans ate. That's how we eat. Uh, and, but it wasn't how they ate back then. Uh, they had a, a, a arrangement that they would use in those days that was called a triclinium. And in the triclinium, what would happen is there'd be usually three tables that were arranged in a U-shape. Uh, and, and the tables would only be maybe a foot or 18 inches off the ground. They were very low. And coming outward from that, those three tables would be mats or cushions or uh, something that would be a little more, a little bit of padding. Because when they ate at the table, they reclined. Think about how many times in the Gospels, uh, if, if you've read them, you can remember uh, a parable or a story about someone reclining at the table. Uh, we don't recline at our tables. We sit up at our tables, don't we? But back then they reclined. And so what you have is this U-shaped arrangement where they would recline on these mats that extended out from the table. And so they were basically leaning into the table leaning on one arm while they were eating, and their bodies would be extended out. That's significant because as their bodies were extended out, their feet would be exposed, okay? So there's no tablecloth under which the feet can be hidden here. The feet were way out in the open for everyone to see, but no one was taking the initiative to wash those feet. Now, in those days, uh, the, the, that was a pre-sock day. You wouldn't wear socks around. You just wore sandals, and the sandals would expose your feet to all the dust and, and dirt and grime that might be in the road as you walked through to get to a meeting and, or to a home. And often then when you got to the home, the servant of the home, the usual tradition was for the servant uh, to wash your feet, to take off your sandals and wash your feet so you could be comfortable. But here at this Last Supper, these 12 disciples file in and Jesus is there and their feet are all sticking out on the edges of this arrangement and they're all filthy. They're all dirty. The way that the table would have been arranged in those days, Jesus was the host of this meeting. He had told his disciples to go out and, and find a room. So he was hosting the meeting and was, there was a very clear order in, in those days as to how you would sit at a table like that. And uh, without going into all the details, most scholars believe that Jesus would not have been sitting in the middle of the middle table where he would have had access to, you know, equal access to everyone, kind of, kind of in the middle of the, of the whole scene. But rather, he would have been on the left side of the first table, and he would have been the second person in. That was the place where the host would sit. One of the special guests would sit to his right, and as we construct the way this story went at the Last Supper, we know that at one point John leaned back, and he was described as the one who uh, leaned back against Jesus' breast. And so he, he kind of leaned back into Jesus. So he was sitting next to Jesus, probably at that seat on the right of Jesus. So it would have been John, then Jesus, then the other disciples, and most people feel that Peter would have been clear around on the other side of the table 
in, in position number 13, if you want to call it that. And it was at position number 13, which was the lowest seat, the most insignificant seat at the table, where there would have been the basin and the towel for the servant to get up and to wash all the feet of the guests before the meal. That had not been done. Uh, we think that Peter was probably at that other end because of the interaction that he had with John. It would have made sense for them to have that kind of angle on each other to be able to do that. We don't know all this stuff for sure, but that's most likely uh, the situation. And so as Jesus got up and saw all these dirty feet, he went over to where the basin was, and most likely it was Peter that he came upon first. And so he saw dirty feet, but what he next encountered was was his dull mind, I call it, of Peter, where he's just not getting what is going on. Uh, Peter says, you're not going to wash my feet. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not going to let you do that, Jesus, because I know that that's what the least does. The least in the room, the servant, washes feet, and you're not the least, so you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus tells him, well, well Peter, if you don't let me wash your feet, um, you're not... Um, you know, you have no part with me. And then Peter, like I said, he swings to the other stream. Well, then give me a bath. And and Peter and Lord says, Peter, you've already had the bath. You just need to have your feet washed. And I think part of what Jesus is trying to communicate there, the best I can understand is that Jesus is talking about the fact that when when we come into saving relationship with Christ, that's like taking the bath. But we need the constant feet cleaning. We need the that that would be symbolic in our day of just our daily repentance before the Lord, coming before him and acknowledging where we've fallen short and thanking him for his forgiveness and living a life of repentance and, and, uh, and return to the Lord uh, that, that uh, we, we need in our lives. Salvation and then daily repentance is what's talking about here. But Jesus saw all of those needs. And then third thing about servants that I see is that servants are motivated by love. There's all kinds of reasons why people serve um, in one place or another, whether it's in the, in the marketplace or in the church or in your family or whatever it might be. There's all kinds of reasons. Sometimes we serve in order to be noticed. Sometimes we serve in order to be appreciated. Sometimes we even serve in order to be advanced. But Jesus was motivated by a heart of love and a desire really to reach three groups as he went around the table and washed those feet. He wanted to serve the needy. He wanted to serve those with dirty feet and with dull minds and sinful hearts. He wanted to serve them. The second group that he wanted to serve, though, was the proud, the proud. And that pretty much included all of them as well, because what we, uh, what we learn as we look at the other accounts of the Last Supper in Luke chapter 22, verse 24 it says that during this, while this meal was going on, it says a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Okay? So here they are sitting around the table with dirty, stinky feet, and they're arguing over who is going to be the greatest. And so it's only natural that no one's picking up the towel in the basin. Because to pick up the towel in the basin would be to admit that you're not the greatest, because it's the least that does that. And, and Luke goes on to say that Jesus uses the words and the phrase in that sense that 
it's the least among you who is the greatest. It's the servant that, that is the greatest. But Jesus wanted to serve the proud. Um, so these disciples, as it were, they were kind of elbowing for position even up to the end. Now, this isn't the first time this has happened. Over and over again in the Gospels, there must be four or five times. And even one time, John and James' mother gets in the mix. You know, She approaches Jesus and she says, Jesus, can my, can my two sons have the right and left hand of you uh, sit to your right and left when you go in glory? She's, she's arguing for them to have the spots of honor uh, when Jesus is seated in his glory. Mom's getting involved with this, and, and the others are, are just livid over that. They, they don't want anything to do with that. But here at the Last Supper, this time when Jesus needs to be served from a human perspective more than any other time, they're arguing over who would be the greatest. I have a friend. I, I want you to think for a moment of a scene. Just imagine a scene where five guys have, have gone out to eat at a sports bar. They've watched a game. They're coming out of the game. And they, they came in one car, it's a big SUV. And as they're going from the door to the car, about halfway there, someone shouts out something. What do they shout out? Shotgun, they shout out. Shotgun. And the one who gets shotgun gets to sit. He's not going to drive, but he gets to sit in the front seat by himself. I have a friend, one of the guys I coach, who uh, told me once, he said, every time I get in that situation and someone yells shotgun, I always yell, backseat middle, <laughs> backseat middle. And you know, that's really what was going on here. Uh, Jesus deserved the place of honor. He, was, he deserved the shotgun place. But he says, I'm going to be backseat middle. I'm going to take the basin, I'm going to take the towel, and I'm going to go around, and I'm going to wash your feet. And the other incredible thing about this setting when when scholars again try to figure out the table arrangement we don't know all the all the places of, of everyone but as i mentioned jesus was probably the second one in john was on one end peter was on the other end the one sitting on the other side of jesus in this arrangement would have been considered the guest of honor in that arrangement of those 13 people the guest of honor. And guess who would have been in that role from what we can piece together from the Gospels? It was Judas. It was Judas. At one point, when John asked Jesus, who is it that's going to betray you? Because Jesus predicted that. And Peter's asking John, John, ask him who it is. You know, So that's why we see Peter pretty close to John. And John leans back and he says, Jesus, who is this? And remember what Jesus says, it's the one that I'm sharing the bowl with. It's the one that I'm dipping together with. And it would have been the one right next to him. It would have been Judas in that place of honor. So Jesus not only served the needy and the proud, but he served the traitor. And it was shortly after that that Jesus turned to Judas and said, Judas, whatever you're going to do, just do it quickly. And Judas got up and left at that point. But Jesus washed his feet. Because it tells us in verse 11, 10 and 11, you're, you all are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said that not everyone was clean. Paul says in Romans 5 that even while we were Christ's enemies, he went to the cross and died for us. 
all the ways that we have acted as the traitor, the Judas experiences in our lives, where we've, where we've fallen into sin, where we've sinned even willfully. Jesus washed Judas' feet. He washes our feet. And he went to the cross and said, you got to love your enemies. And he even laid his life down for us. Not while we were all polished up and, and responsive to whatever he wanted us to do, but when we were yet sinners, it says, Christ died for us. True servants are motivated by that kind of love. And finally, the last thing I want you to see is that true servants are motivated or true servants are rewarded. That's what Jesus says at the end of the passage. In verse 12, it said, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. And he said to them, do you understand what I have done for you? And there was no response. I think that by this point, they figured every question was a trick question from Jesus because they always got it wrong. So here they are at the Last Supper. They're, they don't want, no one wants to speak at this point. And so he goes on and he says, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. And now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. That's really not what we would have expected Jesus to say. Well, we would have expected him to say, listen, guys, I washed yours. Now it's your turn to wash mine. That's how we operate in life so often. I did it for you. Now you come back and you do it for me. But instead, he says, wash one another's feet. It's just an example. And he says, you'll be blessed if you do. And friends, here's the biggest reward that I feel like <clears throat> will come when we truly serve the way that Jesus served. When we look to wash one another's feet, the greatest reward is that you find Jesus in that kind of service. You'll find Jesus in that kind of service. You won't find Jesus as you scratch and claw your way to advancement, to the top of the heap. You won't find Jesus there. You're going to find Jesus always backseat middle. When you, when you serve backseat middle, that's where you'll find Jesus. And what you'll find is a heart that is not proud, a heart that looks for needs, a heart that is motivated by love, and you'll find Jesus in those times. I just want to make a, a few uh, places of ap application for us here this morning at Harbor City as we uh, go back into our facility next week and downstairs. Um, you know, there's going to be all kinds of backseat middle opportunities. That's what I'm going to call them from now on. So if, if you hear me say that, you know what I'm talking about. There's a lot of backseat middle com uh, opportunities uh, to serve. As we've been up here uh, outside and, and kind of streamlined everything as much as we can over the course of the last year, we've, we've kind of whittled down to the bare essentials of what we need uh, for service. And <clears throat> as we go back in, some of those needs are going to increase. So there's all kinds of backseat middle opportunities to serve on a prayer team. There's backseat middle opportunities to serve in, in Sunday ops, just helping to prepare uh, the worship service for 
uh, the rest of us as we come to worship, or maybe staying on a little bit later at the end uh, to help clean up at the end. There's backseat middle opportunities in the children's ministry. And I know that's a tricky thing because uh, most of you, if you have young kids, uh, you're just so happy that th there's an hour that you could hand them off at this point after the past year where you've had them so much more than what you've had them before with schools being out and all those sorts of things. But if we share that load, if, if we uh, take the basin and the towel, if we serve in the backseat middle, uh, what we'll find is that we, we can love one another, we can serve one another, and we can bear, that, uh, bear the, the burden of that uh, ministry and all of those things that we want to do in more of an equal way. So those are the things I think that Jesus would do. Uh, and the irony of it, friend, is that they really don't take a lot of time, but they do teach us servanthood. When you think about Jesus washing the disciples' feet, I was trying to, to calculate this, and I was going back to my experience growing up, and I'm thinking, you know, it probably didn't take more than a minute to wash a set of feet. Um, that's, that's probably, on average, what it would have been. And then maybe maybe 10 seconds in between just to shift the basin and move down toward the next set of feet. So when you calculate it all out, it was maybe a 10 to 15 minute job that Jesus did. It wasn't a lot of time. Jesus wasn't giving pedicures at the Last Supper, okay? It wasn't like this elaborate, elaborate thing that, that he was doing. He was simply washing feet, 10, 15 minutes, but it lasted for an eternity, didn't it? I mean, we're still reading about it. 2,000 years later, uh, the act of servanthood that Jesus did. And, and Jesus calls us to that kind of service. There's all kinds of ways that you can be involved in that. And if you're interested in, in helping in backseat middle ministry, uh, just make a note on one of the cards and drop it in the box on the way out, and we'll get in touch with you and let you know what, what kinds of things would, uh, you could do with just a little bit of extra time on, on Sunday to make it easier for the rest of us and to provide a place where people can come and hear the gospel and hear about Jesus as the true servant who's gone to the cross for us. I want to close this morning with a story that uh, comes from a man by the name of Doug Nichols, who headed up a, a mission organization that one of my friends worked for. He worked with Doug Nichols for several, uh, several decades, actually. But Doug Nichols tells a story uh, about serving with Operation Mobilization in India uh, like way long time ago, 1967. He said he contracted tuberculosis while he was in that ministry. And um, it forced him into a sanitarium for several months in India. He said, I didn't yet speak the language, but I tried to give Christian literature written in their language to the patients, doctors, and nurses, and everyone politely refused. I sensed that many weren't happy about a rich American uh, he says, to them, all Americans are rich. Being in a free government-run sanitarium, they didn't know I was just as broke as they were. He says, the first few nights, I woke around 2 o'clock in the morning coughing. One morning during my coughing spell, I noticed one of the older and sicker patients across the aisle trying to get out of bed. He would sit up on the edge of the bed and try to stand, but in weakness would fall back into the bed. I didn't understand what he was trying to do. He finally fell back into bed, exhausted, and I heard him crying softly. The next morning, I realized what the man had been trying to do. 
He'd been trying to get up and walk to the bathroom. The stench in our ward was awful. Other patients yelled insults at the man. Angry nurses moved him roughly from one side to the other as they cleaned up the mess. One nurse even slapped him. The old man curled into a ball and wept. And Doug Nichols said the next night, I again woke up coughing. I noticed the man across the aisle sit up and again try to stand, but like the night before, he fell back whimpering. I don't like bad smells, and I didn't want to become involved, but I got out of bed and I went over to him. And when I touched his shoulder, his eyes opened up wide with fear. I smiled, I put my arms under him and picked him up. He was very light due to his old age and advanced TB. I carried him to the washroom, which was just a filthy small room with a hole in the floor. I stood behind him with my arms under his armpits as he took care of himself. And after he finished, I picked him up and carried him back to bed. As I laid him down, he kissed me on the cheek, smiled, and said something I couldn't understand. But Doug said the next morning, Another patient woke me and handed me a steaming cup of tea. He, he motioned with his hands that he wanted some of my literature. As the sun rose, other patients approached and indicated they also wanted the booklets I had tried to give them before. And throughout the day, nurses, interns, and doctors asked for literature. And he says, weeks later, an evangelist who spoke at the, the language visited me. And as he talked to others, he discovered that several had put their trust in Christ as Savior as a result of reading that literature. And he concludes by saying, what did it take to reach people with the gospel? It wasn't health. It wasn't the ability to speak their language or a persuasive talk. He said, I simply took a trip to the bathroom. Friends, find ways to wash feet. Find ways to take those trips to the bathroom because when you do, you're going to discover Jesus in a whole new way. And that will be your reward. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your son, for the way that, that his love uh, was demonstrated to us all the way to the end when he had every right to, to sit back and say, minister to me. He said, I'm going to wash your feet. Father, help us to, to look for opportunities uh, to be backseat middle. Help us to look for opportunities to serve others in ways that will point them to Jesus and to point them to the one who not only washed feet, but died on the cross for our sins. Jesus, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your care. We pray these things in your name. Amen.